Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's movies are heavy metal and fire and ice with lots of half-naked motion capture. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MN Drive-In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. I've been here for so long. <sighs> Doug likes it when you do voices right away on the show. That's, yeah, it's always helpful. It never causes problems. Hey, listen. You guys don't make me be the responsible one that's on time and ready to go. <laughs> that is not that is not my job on this show. My job is to make random inferences between two things and to forget actors' names. Okay, the way I'm saying it, Brian and I showed up at essentially the same time. So that must be the right time. It's not a right time to be early. <laughs> that is that is not the way it works. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Everything this week seems to—I seem to be running behind on everything. So, <sighs> good times. Yeah. Uh, anything exciting going up in Canada, Doug? Are you still under like house arrest or whatever you guys are doing up there? Pretty much, yeah. We're all uh, still locked in. I'm on a bunch of waiting lists for for uh, vaccines now. Oh. Our uh, CDC said you can go outside without a mask and be around people now, as long as it's not too too many people. Yeah, I think we're still, well, I think if we are outside, we're supposed to stay six feet away from everybody else. Yeah, probably the smart thing. Although the funny thing is, so the the big number that they're trying to get to is seventy five percent vaccinated. It really needs to be, I think eighty eighty five before you hit the point of herd immunity and stuff. Mm-hmm. But we got up to 50 super, super fast, and now it's like plateaued off, and people are like refusing to get the second vaccine because they're like, if you get one, it's 75% effective, and that's good enough for me. So stupid. Geniuses. You've already done. Who, yeah, the people who are willing to get one but not get a second one blow yeah. my fucking mind. You've already done one, just do the second one. It takes literally like. Three minutes to actually get the shot. No, y'all are only getting half the microchip in me. You didn't get the starter switch, so it won't work. Yeah. Fucking assholes. (sighs) (laughs) Yeehaw, into other derpy noises. Alright, well, what movies did you pick this week, Noah? Uh, heavy metal and fire and ice. Yeah, I didn't get to watch either one of them, so. <laughs> Dude. 
Uh, I decided you're right. You know, when I sit down and try to rush them all, I always end up hating them. So I was like, fuck it. I'm just not going to watch them. Because uh, I do actually want to see heavy metal at some point, And I don't want to watch it here and hate it and not be able to watch it and enjoy it later. I mean, I I would argue in some ways Fire and Ice is actually a better movie. Oh, okay. Well, it might be. I've, I, I literally have not seen either one of them. As do you, I like, just stated, do so. you like Frank Franzetta? Yeah, he's all right. Okay. Imagine if those paintings moved around. Yeah. The, the end. That is Fire and Ice. Yeah. Sure. Um, so my goal is to try to watch them before next week's show, and then I'll give my own, <laughs> my own separate what? review. I was gonna say, what's the point of that exactly? But I don't know. Get it all planned out. Just because I feel bad that I didn't watch them, so my my compromise is I will watch them just <laughs> a week late. I'm sure, if you understand how things work around here. But all right. It has the, the weird thing switching from Thursday to Tuesday really has thrown off my movie watching rhythms. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I find it it's easier to remember to watch these movies, but it throws me off for the rest of the week. So. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, Noah, do you want to tell us about Fire and Ice? Yeah. Uh, Fire and Ice is a. Uh, rotoscoped film that's kind of a combination of the characters and art stylings of Frank Franzetta and the animated rotoscoping of uh, Ralph Bakshi, uh, which results in kind of a, I, I, I would call it a Conan-esque adventure, but I mean, the, the main character is not quite as badass as Conan. But we see more of his ass. We definitely see more of his ass, <laughs> but his but as ass I, every other character's ass for some reason in this show. Yeah, yeah but as as I was telling Brian, the the best way to describe this movie is just a Frank Franzetta painting come to life. I mean, it's it's a dude in a loincloth thong, uh, and a chick who's wearing basically see through panties and a half of a negligee, well, running around a jungle for a while after. Part of the movie, so yeah, fighting cavemen slash orcs uh, as they battle their way from the kingdom of fire into the kingdom of ice to go fight Necron, the evil ice wizard who has cum explosions that murder people. All right, you you think I'm exaggerating, but whenever I put that comment in the chat of a murderous <laughs> ice orgasms, that's that's pretty accurate to what this film is. Uh, to be fair, like Brian, his description is pretty accurate, except I would have said uh, bare skin banana hammock instead of loincloth. But... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll accept that. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean... so it's I, I was going to say, here's here's the thing about this film that puts you in a weird space. You want to kind of shake your finger at it and be like, this is so objectifying toward women, which mm -hmm. it is. But... It's also really objectifying toward men in a in an almost equivalent way. And I would argue that the homoeroticism of this film heavily outweighs the the straight sensualness of the nude women. <laughs> That's a weird argument to get into with yourself while you're at home alone watching movies, but <laughs> hey, I think about these things. I've seen this movie a thousand times over the years and 
and I've gone back and forth on it where at first I was like a kid and I was like, yeah, this is fucking badass. And then I got older and I was like, ooh, this is problematic. And now I'm like, no, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't think this is problematic. Problematic and badass. I mean, I suppose the the most problematic thing is the, uh, the what what do they call it? The, the evil gay guy. You know what I'm talking about? It's a common trope in films where yeah. the, the villain yeah. is clearly an effeminate man. Yeah, they just use effeminate as shorthand for evil. Uh, which is, yeah, that's an issue. I found the, if, if anything for me was problematic in the film, since apparently that's just how we're starting our discussion, is what's wrong with this, um, is really the, the weird orc guys who are clearly um, racist, but I'm just not quite sure who they're racist against. I th- So here's the thing. I think they were going for like cavemen. I th- yeah, is the idea, but I'm pretty sure a lot of the rotoscoped actors playing those cavemen were just black guys. Yeah, yeah, which and, is a problem. And the the skin tone they went with is more like a orc, like off green color. Yeah, but with the color palette of the film, it makes it look like a muddy, darker yeah. skin color. It's basically what it comes off as. Yeah, it, it's, it's it's weird because it's like, but they're also like the haircuts that they all have remind me of like, like South American natives when you see them in movies because I don't know what they actually look like. So I thought they're maybe racist against them as well. And it's kind of one of these weirds, like all these mishmash of quote unquote, like savage cultures right. mixed into one. And it's like, well, that's, that's not better just cause you're attacking everybody. <laughs> I just like the stereotypes of all these different versions. I just in general game. love the outfits in this film. Everybody's wearing like either nothing or some atrociously garish nonsense. Like, you get to the prince, and the prince is wearing—I don't—I don't know—just the like a bright red deep ass V. <laughs> you do love your deep V's. Oh my god, it's a deep V on the outside, and it's a literal V, right? So it's like sideless. <laughs> There's so much V to be seen. It's—I don't understand why nobody, especially in the ice world, is wearing more clothes. That's the part I had an issue with. I'm like, why is everybody so naked in this movie? Right. <laughs> it's weird because it is a cartoon and this is the first time I've watched it. So like I think maybe had I seen it like younger, I would have just been like, oh, they're cool barbarian guys and not really thought much of it. But just as an adult watching it for the first time, going, Why it's weird that it's a cartoon with all this nudity in it. I always find it crazy to think about the fact that these were kind of high budget films. Because you know, rot- rotoscoping was expensive. Yeah, it must have been. Yeah. It's weird that somebody decided to do this as like a high budget film because we've talked about the Lord of the Rings version uh, uh, on here and you're like okay I can see them putting some money into an animated version of that because it's a story that people know but this is just random fantasy adventure number well, 263 kind of thing well Ralph Ralph Bakshi had a little bit of sway to get movies made just just because between uh, Lord of the Rings and um, what's the other one? American Pop and a few of his more popular ones like people fucking love his movies. They they all have these strong cult followings. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it, it tended to let him 
do his weird pet projects, which it bl- blows my mind. Fritz, Fritz the cat's the one that really fucking. In which I don't think we've done that one yet. We'll get there eventually, no. but uh, it's on the list. Oh, the the just the counterculture nature of it is something to behold. It's so weird. Like the seventies and eighties is such a weird time because it's like, how did somebody get famous for doing animated films? Like that doesn't even make sense to me. It's right. like these types of animated films. It's not like they not like they're making a ton of money and no one knows who they are. But it turns out they directed a bunch of shit that kids like. It's like oh, just animated films for adults that are objectively offensive in many levels. Well, and in that era, there was a lot of like comic books and stuff too that were strictly for adults. Oh yeah, and and not in the way that now it's all muddled up and like everyone reads the same weirdly violent sexualized comic books but but in a way there was like normal comic books and then there were naked people comic books it's what they call the underground comic books right that more so applies to the next film plus frank frank franzetta i mean in the uh the early 80s and stuff he was at the peak of his uh popularity i have no idea who he is you probably don't. You maybe you I don't know the name. Seen, yeah, you're, but you're, you know his artwork. Yeah. Was he one of his his big ones? The Conan artwork. Yeah, basically every badass fantasy cover ever is probably a Franzetta. Uh, both both books and movies and poster art and everything else. Yeah, uh, he also did some comic books that were pretty good. Uh, his pencil sketches were. Interesting. I never got super into them as much as his paintings and stuff, but, but I actually have. I have three of his, uh, like the Frank Franzetta collector's edition art books on my shelf behind me. Nice. I'm trying tell, to... me tell me more of this movie. Well, that's the, that's the kind of thing. So it's kind of meandering, right? It's one of those uh, the the journeys, the movie kind of things. Like the plot is, oh, we have to go stop Necron, but it's really just an excuse to get them out running around doing stuff. Uh, the main characters are blonde guy uh, whose ass gets groped multiple times by random cavemen guys, uh, hot hot chicken and negligee, and then badass hunter guy and like a wolf helmet with green eyes who just fucks people up mm. and and they travel through the jungle there's some cool shit with a witch and the witch dies and gets brought back to life as a crazy skeleton witch yeah. in many ways it's a very typical fantasy movie where it's like it's not really about anything it's just these guys going on, on an adventure and a lot of shit happening mm. yeah um, so it yeah. is like a Conan movie Kinda, yeah. The, the idea is the Ice Kingdom is trying to take over the world, and they have now reached the Fire Kingdom, and they send emissaries to be like, you know, hey, here's a peace treaty, and they're like, this peace treaty is an unconditional surrender of everything, and they're like, yeah, fuck you, Ice Kingdom bitches. Uh, yeah, and of course that doesn't go over well, so they kidnap the king's daughter. Uh, she escapes, and then most of the shenanigans is the main character and the semi-nude uh, princess attempting to find each other over and over again. Because they find each other, then get separated, then find each other, then get separated, so on and so forth. 
I just found. And a, I think uh, that, I think that's actually her right there. <laughs> because this this movie's uh, characters are based off of Frenzetta paintings. Hmm. Well, I was gonna say I just found it interesting. I just found a Frenzetta Dust Till Dawn poster. Nice. Which is pretty awesome. So I just put that in the chat room. Did I lose everybody? Or everybody no. just no. being real quiet? Okay. I just got to look over at the chat room. <laughs> oh. um, no, sorry about that. Uh, my, my internet, no, my internet's being shitty, so I just don't know if I'm losing people or, yeah. So, we're good. All right. Um, well, now it's all awkward and weird. No one knows how to get back into the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, just no, but to bring it to the movie, I think your enjoyment of the movie is like A, do you like fantasy movies, and B, do you like the rotoscope stuff? Because um, that's basically all this is. It's your typical fantasy movie told through that lens. Um, I don't think it offers anything, you know, plot wise or performances wise that's going to blow your mind. That's just one of those things, right? Yeah. Uh, agree? Disagree? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's if you like if you like fantasy stuff, I think you'll you'll dig it. Especially if you're into that uh I don't even know what the fuck to call it, savage fantasy, I guess. Like the the Conan esque. Yeah. Rawr, I'm a tough guy with an axe and I'm gonna murder somebody mm-hmm. type type of thing. That's sort of like where I'm coming from watching this movie is yeah, I, I like that stuff fine. I like the rotoscope, I don't have any problem with it. So I was fine with this movie, but it didn't offer anything spectacular. I think I would have liked it a lot more if I'd seen it younger. Um, probably in the 80s, I would have thought this was super badass, and I would have been super excited about the fact that there was, like, cartoon girls with their boobs out and stuff. But watching it now, it's just like, it's more like I'm watching it and just thinking to myself, like, yes, everything about this is perfectly acceptable. <laughs> That's how I felt watching it. <laughs> oh. All of these things are good things. Yes. Everything good. Nothing particularly uh, great. That's, I guess, how I felt about it. Yeah, I would agree with that. So so this isn't... Uh, yeah, The Art of Frank Franzetta is the series of uh, books I have. That's some of the concept art for Fire and Ice that he did. Yeah. I was just looking down there. I got some uh, Tarzan stuff, which I thought was kind of cool. Well, yeah. Stop spamming us with this because you know we can't have a conversation while you're throwing the pictures mm-hmm. up and right. the poor listeners can't see the pictures. So Sorry. Yeah. But what I was going to say, the, the major failing of the movie is in, like, storytelling in which I kind of... I probably have to blame Ralph Bakshi for that one because he's he doesn't do traditional storytelling. That's not really his, his oeuvre. <laughs> he does more like a series of things happening and... He is making his weird statements while he does it and seeing how this movie is. I don't know. I'm I'm sure you could dissect it into some kind of weird political subtext. Uh, this this film is fairly apolitical for a Bakshi movie. Yeah, I, like I my take on this is that it is just it's literally almost like they were making a one of those low budget sand sword and sandal type movies and just decided now nah, let's just do this one in like rotoscope yeah 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 makes sense yeah this is one of those movies it's hard for me to talk about it because i just want to gush all over it because i fucking it's well, it's feel- like five things that i love crammed into one movie well go, go ahead and do that because like <laughs> i don't have a lot to say and i'm curious to see like 
from more like what other people love about it because like i say for me it just falls into that kind of like fine category which isn't interesting to say over and over again but <laughs> well i dig i dig the violence of it i dig the fact that it is uh it's it leans toward more visual storytelling than dialogue like pretty much almost all the time we spend with the main characters out in the wilds there isn't a lot of conversating going on i agree with that in, in most of the conversation stuff that does happen is kind of necessary plot exposition because <laughs> they kind of have to explain who these people are and why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, I, I did. I, one of the, my favorite parts is the end where finally the princess is kidnapped and she's brought before, you know, Necron, the, the evil Lord or whatever. And his mother's like, ah, yes, I brought her so that you can sire heirs. And, you know, and he's like, Get this bitch out! <laughs> it's so it's so fucking right because once again they went with the whole uh, effeminate man who's not interested, yeah. some slut who's half naked and super hot that the audience has been drooling over. But when the hero shows up to fight him, that he's interested in, <laughs> and and doing his weird, he even like does his orgasm magic while they're fighting, which is. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, overly, once again, overly suggestive. I mean, they don't, I don't know if it was completely necessary to occasionally, whenever he would make his orgasm magic face, to cut to the glacier and a shard of ice uh, extending, growing in girth, and then exploding in a haze of white. <laughs> um, like I yep. said, Real thick. They lay it on real thick. <laughs> it, yeah. I, I don't know how to respond to any of that. I didn't know how to respond to it when I watched it. I don't know how to respond to your description of it. I mean, there's also one of the very first things we see is when... Uh, so it starts with the glacier coming up and destroying, like, essentially the wall from Game of Thrones. In uh, the main character is one of the people that was defending the wall. And he's attempting to escape from a horde of these cavemen guys. And he goes to climb up a tree and the guy's trying to grab him. But really, he just kind of gropes his ass. <laughs> and the way it's animated accentuates the fact that that's what happened. <laughs> like, and it's yeah. one of the very first things that happens. You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> I was wondering if it was a problem with the animation that caused it to look that way. Because no. it's just... Once again, I think it's on purpose. I, I think the homoeroticism of this movie is very much intentional. It's not a accident. Okay. Much much as the, the sexualization of women is not an accident in this film. No, you know, no, it's no, not... one's, no one's going to argue that. Right, right. <laughs> it Primary is... female character does not wear pants, a skirt, or any kind of long dress at any point in the entire fucking movie. Just a thought. Right. <laughs> right. I would. It's it's interesting that this enti <laughs> the entire movie is made for uh like I don't I I don't know how to best say a, a leering gaze like but in every way which makes it interesting in its own way because it's like okay women hot overly sexualized men hot overly sexualized 
violence, graphic, constant. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So what you're saying is this was made for teenage boys. Yes. I think so. <laughs> I would definitely, I would definitely say the the the, the film leans toward the male gaze. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's made for teenage boys in the '80s, and I think some of the stuff with like that we recognize as problematic with the quote unquote effeminate character is maybe meant to get them going using words that we won't use on this podcast and streaming them at their TV and being like, oh, and then calling their, saying their buddies, oh, that's what you'd like to do to Mark over there is what he did to that guy. You know, <laughs> I think Although that's what I, would, I think. I think I would argue that uh, uh, heavy metals probably actually made more for the male gaze than oh yeah, this yeah. film is. I think this I, film is just got, I, I don't know, it's, it's, Franzetta's whole thing in which yes I think the majority of Franzetta's <laughs> appreciators are men especially men who are into Dungeons and Dragons and shit yeah <laughs> which I am which which explains why I'm into it but I, I would argue like his his oversexualization and stuff is just I mean it's part of his artistic styling yeah and so I forgive it a little because it's I don't know. It's it's his intention to oversexualize everyone to to a outrageous extreme. Yeah. So two things. Number one, I don't I don't even think of it as forgiving him. That's what this is. You don't like it. Don't watch it if you're not interested in that because that's what this is, right? So it's not an accident. I think we can all agree to that. That's how they chose to make this movie. You're saying it's all right. of his artwork. Great. I mean. I can see why it wouldn't be for everybody, but I don't think you have to apologize for enjoying it or that he should have to apologize for making it. The other interesting thing is I can't believe we went this long and you just now brought up Dungeons and Dragons after when we're discussing this movie. <laughs> we should have we should have used that reference a long time ago. Oh yeah. And it's and it's it's a Dungeons and Dragons campaign written by a twelve. Yeah, and that's so the way I can only describe it. He's like the evil wizard of the Ice Kingdom, fighting the people of the Fire Kingdom who live in volcanoes. Yeah. Oh, and it's a lot of the girls lost. You have to find her. You did it. Congratulations. The girls lost again. You have to find her. You're right. <laughs> it's like yeah, there's not a complex storytelling technique going on here. All right, Bill, now let's introduce your character. Describe him to everyone. Well, he's huge and muscly, and he's got a big axe, and he wears a wolf head. Cool. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. No one gives a fuck. <laughs> now let's go murder some more people. Black people? No, cavemen. Cave, okay. Cavemen? <laughs> Fine. They look suspiciously. Cavemen! <laughs> 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 oh, the 80s. It was, it was a special time. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. If you're not, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen this movie and you're not sold on it right now, I just don't watch it. It's not for you. <laughs> this this movie is not for you. No, I yeah, like I would never recommend this movie to anyone and I would never recommend somebody not watching this movie. I would simply say, look, this is what it is. It's a very simplistic story, fantasy world, literally fire and ice of the two opposing sides in the ongoing war. 
everyone's wearing next to nothing. The guy and the girl meet in the woods. They go on an adventure trying to get from one, from like Fire World over to Ice World. It's like it, that's either going to appeal to you or it's not. Yeah, and, you know. I'd, you I'd also meet, say, you know, it's if you're not into that stuff, it might be worth a watch just for the sheer fact that this movie is like a legit work of art, a a visual work of art, and and by that I don't mean it's art is in all films or art. I mean, this fucker could be hung up in a gallery on a wall playing and you just pause it at any moment and you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's some really well done painting. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, stylistic choices aside, it's well done for what it is. So that's what you're into. And Brian didn't watch it. Nope, didn't watch it. We'll find out what Brian thinks next week. After the main part of the episode, so. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, Doug, do you want to tell us all about uh, uh, Heavy Metal? Yeah, sure, give me the easy one. Um, <laughs> heavy Metal is uh, well, it's an anthology film, so it's hard to kind of describe in short form. I don't know if we want to go through every story or not. Uh, heavy Metal! It's a series of science fiction stories written clearly for adults because of all the almost porn that it is. Um, all, all of which are actual adaptations of stories from... Of stories from... Apparently Heavy Metal Magazine was a thing. No, I've never actually seen it. It still is a magazine. thing. Is it? All right. Yeah, I think it's digital yeah. now, but Heavy, Heavy Metal Magazine, I would argue it is the best science fiction magazine in existence. Okay. And technically probably has to go behind like one of those things at the at the store because you're not allowed to like display it because it counts as porn um created by uh created by one of the guys that made ninja turtles right is that right i did yeah i'm pretty sure uh was it kevin eastman i think he uh started the magazine continue on i'll look i got nothing else to do during this conversation well it's interesting if that's true because like ivan reitman was involved in making the movie right so that's like some big names and, oh yeah and like so what, I, what, I do what, believe second build in the cast is john candy right i, I don't know who's what order people are building it but i do have a list in front of me and it's like uh no i don't have a list in front of me hang on now i have a list in front of me <laughs> like eugene levy's <laughs> in this movie uh joe flaherty like a lot of people who were kind of big in canadian comedy in the and 80s are harold ramis yeah so it's well the the film was an entirely canadian production yes except except for the music which is interesting not a single musical act that is featured in a very large soundtrack is a canadian band is that true yeah okay so I, these are factoids that don't necessarily have in front of me but i mean the movie almost plays out like a series of music videos it's like, what if the Twilight Zone was music videos? That's how I would describe this to someone. Right. It's creep. It's creep show, but more sci-fi driven. Yeah, and much more adult. Oh, yeah, yeah. And significantly like, more it's, adult. It still has a lot of the camp of a creep show, but it has like, I don't know how to put it. it it's like, what if it's like almost like a porn parody of creep show, but more sci-fi. <laughs> Uh, so I was kind of I was half wrong. <laughs> Kevin Eastman 
uh, didn't create it, but he bought it in 1993. Okay. okay. So he's been running it ever since. Yeah, it's a fantastic. Just just so if everybody's listening, if you ever come across an issue of heavy metal like a garage sale or anything, you should buy that some bitch and just check it out because, damn it, it's a good magazine. It's too expensive for my blood. The subscription's like $150 a year or something nuts like that. So do we want to go through the individual stories? and? I think we kind of have to since it's an anthology. Yeah, like there's not much way to do it. Like the the only kind of connective tissue, there is a wraparound story, and it's like this little green ball telling a story of its life to a little girl. Right. And and the wraparound (laughs) is original. That is not... uh, adaptation of anything from the magazine no but in order to get the little green ball into the girl's hands they do have like an opening story which is a fucking like uh, uh, it's what is it is it a corvette that falls out of a spaceship and falls to earth with an astronaut in it that looks just like something out of like a promo for mtv well yeah That's that's intentional. It's also, if you look at it, it's almost shot for shot. Some of the pictures that Tesla took whenever they sent that fucking car into space. And the reason why they sent that car into space is uh, apparently he's Elon Musk is a huge fan of this movie. That figures that tracks. Yeah, to me. Seems right. Did you know there's a heavy metal podcast network? I did not. So, so there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight podcasts that are put out through this. Well, fuck me. Starting this year. There's a new well, rabbit hole I need to go down. Some of them are just like uh, pop culture stuff, like, you know, the stuff that heavy metal would touch on. But um, there's a couple, I think, looks like... Uh, produced like audio like audio stories essentially so if anybody's into that kind of stuff yeah. oh, on top of the movie again yeah, yeah, keep, yeah, yeah keep go distracting ahead. those of us who fucking watch the movies Brian <laughs> <laughs> your outside yeah. research to try to cover up for your uh, failings uh, so the first story is called Harry Canyon and it's basically this uh, cab driver who um, gets caught up in a thing where was it like they're the, the, the ball thing that is technically the main character of this movie is being put up is has been stolen and is being put up for sale and he gets dragged into it because the daughter of the professor who is going to put it in a museum has stolen it and is trying to sell it and something something is that right yeah basically he gets he gets roped up into it because it seems like the mafia is trying to murder the daughter but as as it progresses we find out that it it seems like it may have more been the daughter killed her father to get the ball to sell it to the mafia to make a bunch of money right so the part I, i liked about this story wasn't the story I really like the world they set up early on. It's set in like this like future where there's fucking like the term illegal alien literally refers to aliens that are living on Earth illegally, um, sort of men in black style. It's this 
kind of almost apocalyptic world where there's like this cab driver, like somebody goes to hold him up early on in the story, and he just has a button that just disintegrates the guy in the back seat for trying to. Isn't isn't it just the most delightful thing that a story about a cab driver in a post-apocalyptic future, or at least a dystopian future, is a cliche? Yeah. That is that is so fucking common. <laughs> it is for some reason we just assume cab drivers are like heroic, or we did at one point in our storytelling history. We just we're like, what if all the stories had cab drivers who were heroes in them? Yeah. It's also done uh, like a noir, which is kind of interesting, too. Yeah. And she's definitely the, the woman who gets in his cab there. She plays the full femme fatale in very stereotypical fashion. She He, like, saves her and tries to bring her to the police. The police won't help. So now he takes like he's going to protect her. And then she naturally seduces him. Um, now, because it's a, like a short story, they don't have time to, like, spend on the seduction. So there's literally just a he goes, you can sleep on the couch, there's beer in the fridge, and then he goes to bed. And then she shows up standing at his bedside buck naked. And we get to see full cartoon Bush as she's just like, Can I just sleep in your bed? And he's like, Yeah, whatever. It's Oh yeah. Yeah. It's again when you say noir, <laughs> that's not exactly what would happen in like a forties noir film. <laughs> I was gonna say, one of the wildest things, so despite the fact that as we described in Fire and Ice, there is a character who is never be clothed in the entire movie. Yeah. Uh somehow there's far more nudity in this. Oh. Yeah, there's just everything is just constant because like the sex scene between the two cartoon characters in his first story goes on for several minutes. And, you know, would probably be very erotic if they weren't cartoons or if that's what you're into either way. Um, <laughs> but it's it's also I, I sorry to break in, but the rotoscoping in heavy metal is fascinating because it's done in a way that it's not. All the time, recognizably rotoscoped, if that no, makes sense, they they almost yeah. paint so heavy on it that it it comes off not rotoscoped it looks hand-drawn i don't it's strange no I, I agree with that it's it looks much more um cartoonish in that sense not not in a comic-y way but in like just a it looks more like it was drawn by hand like somebody drew a million pictures in a row and is flipping them in front of you all right want to move on to the next story so, do you have anything you want to say about that one nope all right. So the next one is the John Candy story where he's just a he's the voice of a teenager. We hear him mostly doing like the uh, narration. But uh, he basically finds a meteorite in his yard, which is obviously the same green rock that is technically the main character of the story. Meteor shit. <laughs> I had the same sort of thought, actually. <laughs> um, so basically he turns into a naked dude with a bald head who's very, very muscular and apparently well-endowed. I'm reading that description. I don't know why they had to put well-endowed, because we don't actually see his penis. Well, so, factoid, the original comic strip that was in Heavy Metal Magazine, he is butt-naked the entire time with his dick floating around. And the whole line where he's standing behind that stone and he grabs that 
sheet and he's like, well, I don't want to be running around with my dork hanging out the entire time was an intentional stab at the ratings board for the fact that they could show women naked through the whole fucking movie. But if they show a guy's dick, they would get it in C-17. Okay. I did not know all those details, but <laughs> again, I just watch the movies. I don't read things in advance of this podcast. So <laughs> anyways, he basically now in his like Superman form, he saves a girl and then she's supposed to be sacrificed by some evil prince, so he has to go save her again, because that's just how these things work. He gets to sleep with a bunch of chicks in the process, and every time it's like teenage boy reaction of like, I can't believe I'm sleeping with another woman. <laughs> oh, and man. Uh, it, it, the, the fact that it's John Candy's voice puts itself yeah. over the fucking top. It's funny because it's not like a great performance or whatever, like there's nothing wrong with it, but it's just because it's very recognizable as John Candy that makes it so fun to listen to. <laughs> there's just, there's just no way to avoid knowing it's John Candy unless you don't know who he is, but, um, yeah. So it, it kind of ends with him choosing to stay on and hang out in the, uh, on that planet when he could have been sent home. Cause he gets to bang chicks there and he doesn't get to bang chicks at home. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. The, that's actually the plot of the movie. It's not me conjecturing. It's pretty much said. So yeah, I was gonna say the other big thing that they don't they don't deal with in this, but they dealt with in the comic strip is that uh, the the chick he saves, the super hot chick, yeah. she's an old decrepit eighty year old woman on Earth. Oh yeah, yeah. she found like a, her own magic rock and got up there. Something. Yeah, All right. I accept that. I mean, it's really it's it's kind of a uh, more a more twelve year old version of John Carter of Mars, basically. That's what they were going for. Okay. I mean, John Carter of Mars is already written for twelve year olds, so I don't know <laughs> what that means. But a twelve year old in the eighties, as opposed to a twelve year old in the sixties. Yeah, I mean, it. it's again, it's actually similar to our discussion of Fire and Ice, where it's like, it's this really basic story of this guy who just has to, like, save the princess kind of thing, but gets to sleep with the princess first, then she gets kidnapped, so then he's gonna, in order to save her, he has to go sleep with the queen as well. There's a scene, to put this in context for people who haven't seen it, like Brian, there's a scene where it's dark and he's reaching out to try to find the big, uh, the Lochnar, which is the green stone that is at the center of this discussion. And he, uh, he's like, and then the lights came on and the lights come on and he's grabbing a girl's boobs, trying to, he's trying to grab this big ball. <laughs> and he's like, oh, that's embarrassing. But it's, again, John Candy's voice doing that. <laughs> that's the, the level of humor you're dealing with in this particular story. So super fun, honestly, like just yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, but it's yeah. it's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, it's and then, like you could pretend the story matters. It really doesn't. It's just it's just a good time. I don't know. What was the next story? No, do you remember? Off the top of your head, uh, what was the guy in the space station that gets a uh, oh yeah being charged with like every crime under the sun? Oh my god, <laughs> a list of a list of crimes that's supposed to be a joke because of how long and horrible the list of crimes is. But at the same time, you're kind of like, 
Jesus, fuck this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Especially as a modern viewer. As a modern viewer, you're like, okay, guys, that's... I think you thought that list was funny. And it went to the point of not being funny anymore. It's it's like 39 counts of rape. Yeah. And it ends with, and one moving violation. And that's the one that the whole crowd in in the courtroom goes, (gasps) like... On a moving <laughs> violation. Um, so yeah, then the plot is that there's some guy going up there to testify, and he um, has supposedly been paid off to testify on behalf of the defendant. When he gets up there, he starts announcing all of these things that the guy has actually done wrong, but somehow he hulks out and uh, trashes the room, and everybody runs out of there, including the defendant. To which they meet up, and the defendant starts paying him off because apparently he knew this was going to happen, and that was the plan all along. Uh, and then he shoots that other guy out into space, where he dies, and that's the whole story. It's like a real like uh, a Twilight Zone twist to this one, because the whole time you're like, oh, his plan is backfiring, and then. No, it was his plan all along. The biggest difference of that one from the original story is he doesn't kill the guy at the end. No, I liked him killing the guy at the end. I thought that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. But that was that was just added to move the Lochnar to the next person. Okay. well, I enjoyed it because for me, I liked the especially the way it was done, because, again, very cartoony. So when he opens like the the hatch or whatever and it sucks the guy out into space all the money goes flying up in the air and stays in the space station so he, theoretically he got that back too <laughs> it's like space bucks or whatever they are that he's using to pay him off I, I really love the artwork in this particular section because it's it's definitely like I don't think anything in this is rotoscoped I think this is all just cartoony yeah, this one is the most like it looks the most like a Saturday morning cartoon, except, you know, they're talking about rape and murder and all this other stuff, moving violations that you would never show in a cartoon. I thought it was a super fun little segment. It served no purpose. Nothing happened in it like that was anything except just wouldn't it be kind of funny if this happened? OK. And I enjoyed that. Very simplistic. Again, it's hard not to like heavy metal, partly because there's just each story is short and fast and you just zip through it and you move on. Right. And they're all done. I don't know. And they're all done in this, uh, hyper stylized way that you're just kind of like, no, I get it. I get what they're doing. Yeah. And then what was the next one? Cause there's like six, right? They yeah, actually move like, in a pretty good clip. Yeah. There's like a couple of more coming up. Like we haven't even gotten to world war two yet. There's a world war two segment in this. I think that's the next one actually. Is it? That's the one where it's just they end up basically the there's a bunch of guys on a fighter plane and when the uh, there's like they're getting shot up. So the uh, co-pilot goes back and he finds everybody's dead, but he sees the green ball chasing the plane. And basically when it catches up to them, the dead people all come back as zombies. Um this one felt like yeah like an episode of amazing stories or something it was cool i liked it i i think my favorite so i like uh, i like all the zombies and the skeletons and shit which is fucking yeah but i think my favorite thing is the the rotoscoping of the plane is done in this 
weird, interesting way that it's, um, and I think I've, I don't know if I've said it before on the podcast, but it's kind of my thought. Rotoscoping was CGI before CGI ever existed. Because you could actually, like, the way painting over the film works, you can make an object look three-dimensional so much better than you can hand drawing it in in the I don't know like I said the the planes are done in this weird green and purple and black and it's semi translucent so I think you're actually maybe seeing the film underneath it and it just it, it looks really fucking cool yeah I don't I don't know how to describe it because I don't know enough about the process with the rotoscoping or anything but it does look excellent so uh, and it really it does a surprisingly good job of capturing the feel of like these ships flying through the air, getting shot at and everything early on, just tough to do in an animated format. Man, a fuckload of people die in the first couple seconds of it. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It's hardcore. It's like saving private Ryan, but in a plane, everybody's just getting shot to fuck. Yeah. It's real fucked up. Uh, the, the scene where he tells the guy to go check on everybody. And basically he has to walk through this big plane and it's just full of dead bodies. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 the darkest, I would say, of all the stories. Um, even the kind of post-apocalyptic ones are not as dark as this. We don't just see so many people just being shot for just being there kind of thing. But yeah, I think I think I'd agree with that. It, it definitely a little more a lot more serious in tone than the last couple of segments had been. So kind of a weird shift, but you can get away with that in an anthology, I think. And it's a pretty, uh, compared to the rest of the stories, so the rest of the stories can be dark and violent, but there's this level of levity to them. Yeah. And, and this one is oppressive. Yeah, it's not It's yeah. not fun. There's no random nude chicks running around or anything like that. You know what I mean? John Candy's voice isn't just naturally making everybody smile the way it does. It's just dark. I miss John Candy. That's a very reasonable stance to take on that. Yeah. Overweight actors die too soon. That's just yeah. It's just the way it is. But we still got Jim Belushi. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Why? Why do we still have the bad Belushi? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Like I said, I don't. I don't know. It's just that it's tonally so different from the rest because it's you start in a World War to fighter plane, which is already kind of, uh, I don't know, that gets your hackles up. Just just yeah. the imagery of it. And then you have everyone in the plane dying. That's sad. Then you have the pilot and the co-pilot basically realizing that everyone else in the plane is dead. That's fucked up. And then they all come back from the dead to kill them. <laughs> like it's It's blow after blow. Yeah. But it looks cool. And as like a horror movie fan, I thought it worked on that level. Oh, yeah. Um, which is, again, a, a drastic change from what came before and what comes next. It was kind of stood out in that way. But I liked that idea that you have this one story that's more serious in your anthology. And then what was the next one? I think the next one is the one where just, again, talk about a tonal shift it's just the two people get sucked up through a space vacuum and abducted by aliens from that pentagon that's meeting. yes it's the whole story of a robot seducing and fucking a human chick yeah and that is literally the plot 
And then he, he's just like Pepe Le Pew following her around for the remainder of the thing, trying to like, come on, man, like we should hang out more. And she's like, it won't work. You'll, I'll come home one day and you'll be fucking the toaster. <laughs> and he's like, you'll have to trust me. It's just so ridiculous. And then there's just like flying the alien spaceship is just these two guys that are the Cheech and really, John of this I think movie. The, was the robot John Candy again? I think it was. I think it might have been, yeah. yeah. So it's Oh yeah. <laughs> the, the two guys the two guys laying out a literal maze of cocaine on the floor. Yeah. Is <laughs> it's, it's just wild. I don't understand. Like, it's just they're the pilot and co-pilot. For some reason, they just decide those guys will just be stoners. And they're just in the background of this story the whole time. Like, every now and again, we cut to them and they're just doing more cocaine. <laughs> and then the story just as it ends where, like, you know, finally the woman agrees to marry the robot. As the story comes to an end, we just see them trying to land the thing and they're way too fucking high to do it. And that's it. But they still managed to crash land safely, so th- there's no point to any of that whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> Other than just, wouldn't this be ridiculous? Yeah, let's throw it in there. <laughs> but I guess you got to find a way to stretch out your story of robot seduction. I just the the weird machine, the cocaine dispensing machine, is the thing that's like. Yeah. It looks like something out of a Dr. Seuss cartoon. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's it, its entire job is it's this huge mechanical vacuum cleaner that just disperses giant rows of cocaine. Yeah, this is how the do the Who's do cocaine. We all know that. That's just a given. Right. Thing. Cindy Lou Who was the most gacked of all. <laughs> oh, it's just so ridiculous. Yeah. So once again, it's fun and it's funny. Yeah. Uh, There's just no point to it. Yeah. No. No point whatsoever. Um. The Enterprise flies by at one point. Yeah. Yeah. I kept, like, then I kept thinking, is there a point to that? But no, I don't think so. That's somebody nope. in the animation department likes the Enterprise, that's all. Um, yeah. Again, I, I wonder if these have been, somebody must have done this by now, has pulled these out and stuck them up on YouTube or something as just individual short things that you can just watch for no reason. They're, this one would be super fun to watch that way if you just like happen to click play because it got recommended to you. Then I think the next one's the last one, right? Or am I crazy? I think we might be getting to the last one, yeah. Because this is the one where the Loch Nahr, like lands in a volcano and causes a tidal wave of green ooze to cover an army of dudes, which turns them all into savage assholes slash yeah. mutants, maybe? Yeah. But luckily, there's a naked chick to save the day. Yeah. They rampage across the world. And as they murder the peaceful elders, they they call out to the last of the. Uh, oh, fuck. What's she called? Tanaran? It's uh, I have this actually noted here. It's Tarakians. Tarakian. That's right. She's yeah. the last Tarakian. And uh, it reminds me of the comic book Lady Death a lot. Okay. Super hot, gray-skinned chick with white hair, kind of slowly getting dressed into her Tarakian S&M gear. Yeah. And getting her cool golden sword. And then she just goes on an adventure to fucking murder all these motherfuckers. Yeah. But they do have one scene at the beginning where there's, like, these, like, old 
Greek looking guys that are like, oh, we're peaceful. We need someone to save us. And then she kills all the other people. So we know she's the good guy. Yeah. And uh, and she's for anybody who hasn't seen the movie, she's the uh, the cover art. The always see of the the chick on yeah. the back of the yeah. bird monster holding the sword up. Yeah. A bird monster was cool too. I have, I do have a question for you guys. Have you guys, either one of you guys, watched Game of Thrones or read the books? Uh, I've read the first two books and watched up to like season four. All right, because I'm just saying, blonde chick, half naked, Tarakian flying around on this. Um, she's the mother of dragons. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying she's <laughs> instead of like. I mean. I don't know if George R. R. Martin actually saw this or if it's a great minds think alike, but hot blonde chick scantily clad flying around on a dragon named Targaryen instead of Tarakian. It's awfully fucking close. It's, you know, you know what? I've never made that connection, but I think you're right. It's just, I'm watching it going, holy shit. Like how can, how can this be the case? Like, and it's so the, weird from the interviews I've seen with George R. R. Martin. I'm assuming he digs this movie. It stands to reason that he would, but I don't know that for a fact. And now I'm like really desperate to know if he watched this and stole this idea. But I don't know how to find that. Uh, the mm -hmm. final battle scene of her against like the general of the the mutant people is yeah. fucking really good. Yeah, I mean the whole thing is really well animated. This segment is it's the most I would say serious of the an like the animation style is the most serious here. Um, and it it feels like they're taking it, the story like a real story and not as comic-y as some of the other ones but not as dark as the World War II one and so it it kind of the action works a little bit better if that makes sense yeah uh, yeah. and then the, the wraparound finishes and the house explodes yeah. uh, which is not rotoscoped it's just a, a film with the house exploding and the reason for that is it was supposed to be rotoscoped and the studio moved up the deadline for the film and they were like, uh, well, we don't have time to rotoscope this. We have to hand paint every frame. Oh. Fuck it. Put it in. And they just moved on. <laughs> it works. I mean, in the movie, it kind of works because it's the ending. It's kind of like, oh, and now this part happens in the real world. And you're like, all right, whatever. <laughs> Fuck it. I don't know. And I, I love the connection to heavy metal music throughout the, the thing, although it's like the softest heavy metal music. Yeah, it's early 80s heavy metal. Right. So it's kind of like between that sort of dark 70s heavy metal and then what would become like hair metal soon after this would become the popular version. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's got, like, Judas Priest and stuff in the soundtrack, but it's, it's not pretty terrible chill. if you're into that kind of music. It's just not what we you immediately think of when you hear the term heavy metal. So was this was this a first time watch for you? Uh, first time in a long time. I watched it, like, in high school kind of thing. Rented the VHS, if I recall correctly. So... I didn't remember anything about it. And then when it started up and I realized, oh, it's an anthology film. I'm like, well, that's why I remember all these weird images that seemingly are disconnected. It's because I was remembering images from each of the stories without 
understanding that they were all individual stories. I, I gotta say, I enjoyed watching it, like, mostly because each story is so short that even if you're not fully engaged, something funny's gonna happen and then it's gonna move on to the next thing, right? Right, yeah. Brian, do you anticipate feeling that way when you watch this later? Uh, I anticipate a feeling very weird. Like I said, I've seen a couple segments here and there, but it was at like a party, so I was not nearly paying enough attention that I needed to to really figure out if I like it or not. I, I think due to the nature of what it is, it may be best enjoyed if you're in like a chill mood. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like a grab, pop a beer, sit down, and just like chill you, and watch a movie. You can just say get high before you watch any of these movies. No, it's, it's 2021. We're, I think you could also be on your well, innuendo. See but, see, but here's the thing: I don't, I don't do that anymore. So that's not really a part of my thought process. I, I feel, yeah, I feel like these movies were definitely designed for stoners, both of them. Um, maybe. <laughs> You could argue acid, but I don't know like what. This uh, well, the the first one I would argue probably both. Bakshi yeah. was, uh, I think he was pro drugs. Because I I feel uh, to some extent like the style of that first movie would be like if you watched a normal fantasy movie, but you were already on acid. That's what it would look like. So maybe that's what he was trying to capture. Yeah, maybe. Um, has anybody seen Heavy Metal Two Thousand? Yes, it's okay. It's yeah. it's not it's not the same. It, it's one of those lightning in a bottle kind of things. Like you can't replicate mm-hmm. that. You just got to fucking attempting to replicate it means you can't replicate it. If they would have just gone into it blind and threw a bunch of shit together, it probably would have worked better. I I agree with that completely. I remember watching it once and just thinking, meh, all right, just did your thing, like. It's not offensively bad, but it's not. I don't necessarily recommend watching it either. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, has anybody watched anything since last week? Mortal Kombat! <laughs> <laughs> Although this one lacks a sweet techno soundtrack. It they does. didn't use it? They didn't use uh, the. I think there was a snippet of it or something. So there's some or- orchestral uh, glimpses of the theme throughout the movie. And then they do like an updated electronica version of it at the end during the credits. But they don't they don't have the the one we all know and love, which was a complaint of mine. Yeah. Does it. <laughs> Brian, I know you watched it, too. Yeah. Do you have any idea how to fucking explain the plot of this movie? It's, it's, <laughs> it's so fucking all over the place. Uh, let's not go too far into it, because I'm sure Doug wants to watch it at some point. Yeah, spoiler, spoiler I, warnings, by the way. I don't, I don't care about... I only want to watch the punching and the kicking. Oh, okay. Um, so I find it interesting that for a movie... That tells you a thousand times that it's based on a uh, 
you know, centuries old uh, mystical underground fighting tournament. There is no centuries old mis- mystical underground fighting tournament. Oh. Well, there kind of is sure at the really end, but unintentionally. There, there is, but there isn't. Like, they're supposed to have one. They're talking about how if they lose one more, then the Earth is doomed, sort of like they did in the first in the 90s movie. Uh, and then, you know, Earth's champions all have this weird birthmark-looking thing that is the Mortal Kombat symbol. Um, and so Sonya Blade is trying to round up all of the Earth champions. Um, and... Uh, uh, what's the dude's name? The bad guy, Shang Tsung or whatever. Yeah. Uh, decide, you know, looks for a loophole in all the rules, and basically it says there's nothing against uh, uh, sort of combat before the tournament. So their goal is to take out pretty much everybody they can before the tournament starts, and uh, which is pretty much all put on uh, Sub Zero. Yeah. So Sub Zero is kind of going around murdering a bunch of people, which is kind of cool. But um, so then uh, Earth's champions are like, "Well, fuck it. If they're going to come after us, let's go after them." And so that's basically them like deciding who they want to like. Well, you guys go after these guys, and I'll hunt down so and so. And so it's essentially them fighting, but there's no tournament aspect to it, that's which weird. is. Is weird because again it the is, story, but the whole story is based is, all around this tournament. Yeah, I was gonna say, but it is basically take two Mortal Kombat characters, put them in a random place, and then they fight each other. That is uh, that is the gist of the movie. So they never engage in the tournament, but it's still a Jean Claude Van Damme tournament movie. <laughs> um that being said, I still enjoyed it. Yeah, it was it was fun and dumb, mm-hmm. and parts of it were so outrageously hammy cheesy that I I got nervous. But then I was like, okay, no, but I think they know that they're doing this, and it'll pay off with a joke, and then it kind of does. Um, I saw posts, I saw memes that basically said that. Uh... Kano strained his back by carrying this whole movie on his shoulders. And I'm just like, well, that can't be right. And then I watch the movie and I'm like, oh, yeah, that is kind of right. That dude is pretty fantastic in this movie. He's really fucking funny. (laughs) Although I would argue, like like I was saying in the chat, man, I wish they would have just followed Sub-Zero and Scorpion through an entire movie because Mm -hmm. both those actors fucking crushed it. The actors are really good. The backstory between... Both those characters is kind of awesome. Right. But yeah, like you said, maybe the complaint is there's not enough of it. Like that it while it feels like they maybe want to anchor the movie with that story, they don't really anchor the movie with that story. Right. Well, it's making a Mortal Kombat movie is problematic for a lot of reasons. First of all, there's 35 characters. You know what Mm. I mean? So you got to decide, okay, who are we actually putting into this film? Who are we saving for the sequel? We don't want to put all the good ones in, you know, and waste them or something like that. But even in this one where they didn't put half the characters in, it's still rushed to get through who the fuck all these people are and why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. 
and that that even goes to the point of a few of the bad guys are just these one note mm-hmm. guys. Fucking Riku, like fucking, he's terrible. Like they don't explain at all who he is or give him a personality. He's just a big guy with a hammer. Mm-hmm. Who's a former wrestler, by the way. Yeah, even Goro. They're kind of like, ah, Goro, Shotokan warrior. And it's like, okay, yeah. you guys used all the right buzzwords. Then they're like, okay, now you're going to fight this guy in a barn. Yeah. Yeah, they wasted him. Yeah. He should have been like a big reveal and like a sequel or something. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it is weird how they, it feels like they just want to name drop a bunch of people. Like they'll show Outworld and Shang Tsung sitting in his throne and two people walk in and be like, ah, oh, Malina. Blah, 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 blah. And then she has uh, like, no Natara. character development. <laughs> yeah. And you, <laughs> like see, you see Katana's fans about five times, but you never see her. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's got its problems. But if you're going into Mortal Kombat looking for some fancy movie that should win Oscars, then you're fucking insane. Right. Yeah. I wish they would have. So if if I was making this movie, the change I would make, I'd probably cut about four characters out mm-hmm. and just focus. Well, and first of all, they basically made up a new Mortal Kombat character for the story to revolve around. Yeah, which and, is weird. And why? It's a million popular characters. Why? Why? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but- focus, focus harder on the stories of the... I don't know, pick six or something like that. Do that. And then the sequels, you can just revolve the stories around the new two or three characters that you add in. And you can make 25 of these fucking movies and I'd go see every goddamn one of them. (laughs) Yeah. Doug, I think if you watched it, you would enjoy it just for the sheer action part of it. Don't 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 look for a story. No, I, I don't want a story. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm annoyed that they didn't just say, like, the movie just opens on, they're all on a boat, and then you have some dialogue about why they're on the boat, and it's because we have to get to this tournament. And then that's how it should just be, right? Mm. I don't really even understand why you would have much more to that. Yeah, I agree. But I think, you know, when Warner Brothers is putting out a movie, they have to, like, well, needs a story. We can't just put out a brainless action movie. Nobody sure? would see that. Are you sure? Warner <laughs> Brothers distribute all the DC stuff? Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah. I'd say that one of the biggest issues with the movie is the fact that, like we said, so the actor who plays Sub-Zero, the actor who plays Scorpion, the actor who plays Kano, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe that's it. They're well, the, the actor who plays Raiden, too, are all putting in these... <laughs> Guess what? He's Asian. It's way better than anything they've yeah. done so far. Yeah, they put in these fucking solid-ass performances that aren't Oscar-winning, but they aren't, like, hokey crap. Mm. And, oh, my God, the rest of them, you're like, what in the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, Liu Kang does it play Liu Kang. He plays a, a caricature of Liu Kang. Yeah. In Kung Lao, I think he was supposed to be cheesy. I think that's what they were going for with him. But, I don't know. 
it's almost it's almost too much. Yeah. But overall, give it a watch. Yeah. Uh, apparently, a uh, big spoiler, I guess, Doug, Johnny Cage is not in this movie. I've heard that. I don't um, understand it. Well, I mean, it looks like the sequel is going to be the tournament part of it, <laughs> which is weird. Um, fucking weird, actually. And so the leftover heroes at the end are going to search out more champions to add to their team before the tournament begins. And you see our main character look at a poster and you don't see the top half of it, but the top or the bottom half says like, you know, Johnny Cage coming soon in whatever movie, you know, basically it's just a big advertisement for Johnny Cage. Um, And he said he's on his way to Hollywood to find him. So apparently the Miz has been lobbying to play Johnny Cage in the upcoming sequel. I don't, I would actually not be super opposed to that. He's got the attitude down. Uh, the martial arts part of it, I don't know. Well, there's just, there's a bunch of people that would be good for that. Like Channing Tatum. Oh, yeah. Would be a good pick. Or Zach Efron would be a good pick, too. Just because he yeah. just needs to be a pretty boy douchebag and they can teach him kung fu, you know what I mean? Yeah, so. Yeah. I don't know. I, I essentially watched it for free on HBO Max, so I'm I'm not disappointed in it, and uh, we'll definitely check out the sequel. Yeah, I'll probably watch it one day when it's on somewhere I can watch it for free. Oh yeah, yeah. I probably wouldn't have paid to rent it even before I watched it, knowing sort of what it was. Like I was just like, eh, I'm not super excited about it. But did you go to the theater to see it now? No, I watched it, it was, on HBO. Okay, so it was just Godzilla vs Kong. You went and saw. Yeah. I did both. I did both yeah. of that one. Yeah. I still need to watch that one. And it's leaving on Friday, so. Man, it's if you got a theater to go see it in, I'd go see it in the theater. Yeah, I know. But theaters around here only open, like, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday right now. And I work Friday nights and have tons of other shit going on on Saturdays and Sundays. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't have time. So. Yeah, watch before it goes away. Yeah, so I have to watch it maybe tomorrow. Let's see. Uh, well, besides that, all I watched was the uh, last episode of Invincible to catch up to that. Yeah, man, it's still good. So good. There's only one episode left from when we record. And that's that bums me out. It it, it is um, it's predictable, right? Like. For sure. They're, they're moving it forward in the direction that we kind of called very mm-hmm. early on. Yeah. But it's, uh, that's all right. I don't mind that. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I like I read all the comics, so I kind of knew what was coming. So I yeah. had no problem with that. But yeah, I don't know. I'm still enjoying it. Still super violent. Still doing some weird ass shit with it. So yeah. yeah. Still like doing a relatively good job of inter intermeaning the like you know relationship drama of the teenage boy character with mm-hmm. you know and we're back to fighting monsters just kind of <laughs> going back and forth between the two yeah. better than I would have expected yeah I thought the robot reveal was done really well mm-hmm. I like that it's a weird storyline 
the robot fell in love with the monster who looks like a child, so he had a child's body cloned for himself. <laughs> oh yeah, right, that makes sense. And then he made it look like the fucking that other guy that he doesn't get along with the Jason Smith's character. Yeah, Rex. <laughs> He's like, why are you looking like me? Why is it a child me? <laughs> That was pretty funny. He said, stop rooting my childhood. Uh, I just fucking, I don't know who's in charge of casting this show, but that person needs to win awards. (laughs) Serious awards. Because picking fucking Rafi from fucking The League to be the voice of Rexplode was just genius. Uh, he's good. I mean, that actor only does one thing, but he does it really well. <laughs> That's true. I'm watching, uh, if you have HBO Max, um, I'm watching uh, Close Enough as well, which uh, if anybody watched uh, Adventure Time on Cartoon Network back when it was on, um, is the creator of that created essentially a uh, uh, an adult type show where it's about two parents who are young and they have a young kid and it's them trying to like figure their you know what their adult life is going to be because one of them still works on like computers and has hopes of making like video games and she plays guitar and stuff for you know at like coffee houses and whatever but uh it's still just that weird quirky humor from uh adventure time but that that guy does the the voice of one of their best friends who lives lives with them, and yeah, he's basically the exact same, like the same inflection, same, yeah. same uh, exclamations. It's just pretty much the exact same, which I find hilarious. Yeah, but that's that's all I watched. The end. Uh, what about you, Doug? Uh, let's see here. I always got a list. Yeah. It's not that long of a list. I just have a bad Okay, so I watched a movie from 1988 called uh, Grandmother's House. Okay. Have you guys heard of this one? You're already I've laughing. Seen, I've seen the cover before, but I've never actually watched it. Okay. Um, how to describe this movie? So it's, it's kind of a slasher. Basically, these kids, like their dad dies, and they get sent to live with grandma and grandpa. And they become convinced very early on that grandma and grandpa are um, killers, right? So now they're, that's their life. Uh, I don't even put it this way. Grandpa is played by Uncle Leo from Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> is that Jerry? That's how it Hello. starts. <laughs> so it starts with that fact. Um, how else to describe this movie? There's a whole scene in this movie where the kid is um, like he's trying to hide from them because he's I mean spoiler alert he found a body in the basement and now they're looking for him so he climbs out the window onto the roof of like the old farmhouse and he's going along and he falls and he's hanging from like the eaves trough and they're down below looking for him so he's up there trying to figure out how to get out of this and he's trying to climb back up and they're down directly below him so if he falls he'd like land right on them and then they just kind of walk away and then he manages to get back up and just goes back in and that scene was completely pointless (laughs) Um, (laughs) there's a lot of stuff like that there's a lot of stuff like you know um, the, the teenage girl 
goes out with some guy and they get stuck and she goes home to get an axe and now she's back involved in the action and it's like why did they make her leave just to bring her back right away and then the guy shows back up but has no plot consequences whatsoever to him showing back up (laughs) this movie is so 1980s that the the boy who's supposed to be I guess like 13-ish I'm not really sure Mm -hmm. he carries around like a bag that has a big like telescope in it that has like night vision so he can see wherever he wants to go it's like oh I wonder if that'll come in handy later in the movie (laughs) (laughs) check off night vision when the when the big reveal finally comes that there is like who the killer is and exactly what's been going on it leads to the last half hour of this movie being a giant chase (laughs) um so and not like and when i say a chase it's not like jason Voorhees chasing killing people along the way i mean one person chasing two people they go through the woods they go through the house they get in cars at one point they're driving around It's, it's just constant so i don't know I don't know how to describe this fucking movie any better than that. <laughs> I don't know if I recommend it. I don't know. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's absolutely ludicrous, but I don't think it's trying to be. Put it that way. Like, nothing I just said was is played for comedy. It's, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I don't know other than that. Noah will like it because they drastically over-sexualized the clearly underage girl. So... <laughs> Oh, the only thing I know about that movie is there was a VHS cover of it that's like a grandma sitting in a rocking chair and it looks like she's knitting, but she's knitting with two kitchen knives instead of knitting needles. Yeah. Yeah. That's particularly fun because that is the cover where they call it grandma's house instead of grandmother's house, because that's just the quality of this production company. They can't get the name of their own movie right on different VHS boxes. So. That's very misleading. She doesn't do that in the movie. She doesn't rock in a rocking chair and knit with two butcher knives. Uh, damn you, misleading VHS covers. Can you believe that a VHS cover would be so misleading? My God. <laughs> Next thing you're going to tell me, they're going to put a semi-naked lady on the cover of a movie where there's no semi-naked ladies. Oh, come on. There was no movies in the 80s without semi-naked ladies in them. That's ridiculous. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't know. That's the thing I watched. I feel like you guys should know about it. If you want to watch it, you can watch it. I don't know. I Again, it's one of those ones like I can't, in good conscience, recommend it to people. But it was wacky as shit, so if that's what you're looking for, <laughs> maybe. Um, the big thing I watched over the course of the last weekend is... I rewatched the new Planet of the Apes trilogy which is Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and War for the Planet of the Apes. And I gotta tell you something, man. Those are great fucking movies. Not good slow, movies. I've never movies. watched the third one. Oh, dude. So fucking good. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I bought it because I missed it in the theaters, and I still haven't sat down to watch it. It's... Like, the thing about these movies is I think when the first one came out, your instinct is to treat the humans as the main characters and that's wrong because the ape is the main character 
because this is i mean the movie's called rise of the planet of the apes it's not about the humans losing the world it's about the apes taking it over and that's a very different story when you think about it that way so that first movie is it's i mean you could argue that it's an allegory for slavery the the way it's treated but it's it's really about this character that's like born into a relatively privileged situation and the first time he kind of does something wrong he realizes that he's not one of them and he starts to identify with the other people that he's of his quote-unquote race or whatever Mm -hmm. and sort of becomes this involuntary revolutionary where he feels like he has to has to take care of his own people kind of thing and has to lead a revolt even though he never really wanted that and just the fact that that character is a cgi ape it's fascinating how well it's executed. i'm just glad that those movies came out of that giant shit bag of a remake of planet of the apes <laughs> yeah well yeah we're not going to discuss that movie because I won't be watching it anytime soon. Right. <laughs> it's just weird. So I will say this. I love, in in general, I love every single Planet of the Apes movies. I love all the original Planet of the Apes movies. I like these new ones. I like the fucking TV series that was god-awful. But god damn it, that fucking one remake is just a shit-tastic shithouse of a movie. It's just, it's is garbage. It, is it Marky Mark? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that what you hate? No, it's just... It's uh, not it's his fault. Dumb. It's just, it's just dumb and bad, yeah. Because the special effects in that movie are really good, as I recall. As it, as it turns out, special effects don't make a good movie. No, no they don't at all. <laughs> yeah. You guys should uh, you guys should watch these movies so we can discuss them in more detail, because... And watch them all in a row, like I did. I watched the three of them in two days, and... <laughs> I highly recommend that. It's they work really well as a trilogy. I think when people talk about like the great trilogies of movies from like that sort of era post like when basically starting with Lord of the Rings when everything was a trilogy for a while for like 20 years. Um it's this is one of the best ones. Like it belongs in the discussion with like the Dark Knight trilogy as far as that's how good I think these movies are. I would say we could um, watch them all for the show, but if we tried to do a Planet of the Apes month, we would need two. We would need two Planet of the Apes months. We'd have to separate out the <laughs> original movies from these new ones. But Al- no, alternate. Like one of each each week? Yeah. That's plausible, I guess. Try to find the ones that line up the most. That's what yeah. you'd have to do, right? Mm. Right. But you guys got to watch that last one. It's like... It's such a good movie. It's, it's like I, I want to how to describe it without like spoiling it, but it it's a very smart movie in the sense that it kind of explains a lot more about what's gone on in the world to explain how the apes are like completely taking over. But it's just these like lines of dialogue in the background that answer all these questions. That because the main crux of the story is very character driven. It's very centered on Caesar. And it kind of follows him on a particular path. And he's struggling with his kind of place in the world and dealing with this, you know, it, it's it's all a lot of movies about him dealing with his like personal shit versus like his responsibilities, the leader of this new like ape tribe that's taken over the world. And it's strange to say that about, again about a CGI monkey, but it turns out to be really quite cool. 
and his main nemesis is uh, Woody Harrelson, who's like <laughs> gives a great performance as like the kind of insane military leader guy for the humans. And there's actually an interesting twist in it that I I'd forgotten about, and that I don't think is particularly obvious when you are watching the movie. I think it's kind of a neat twist of where the story is headed towards the end. So mm. I don't know. I'd uh, yeah, I, I these are great movies. Movies that they look great. Everybody, I think, probably remembers that they have really good CGI and it holds up really well. Um, the sort of motion capture and stuff, and storytelling's great. Characters are great. Just fantastic fucking trilogy of movies that I think is just not talked about enough and just completely underrated. So nice. I. I super happy I decided to rewatch them again kind of went into it thinking oh those were fun you know but then taking the time to sit and watch all three in, in, in a row really I think helped as well really that feel of like a trilogy mm-hmm. so nice all right smart movies too there's like a lot of like little plot things that carry over and it's done in that kind of an intelligent way like where it's not not so heavy-handed that there's just like maybe certain as ridiculous as it sounds, certain gestures that the apes do, where it's like, oh, we watched them develop that in the last movie, and now they're just doing it. And they're not going to tell us that they're doing it because of, you know, hey, remember in the last movie when they did that? It's just if you're paying attention for that sort of thing, it's all there. But I don't know. I feel like yeah. I'm just ranting about how good these movies are now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm definitely interested in going back and watch them. Yeah. I remember I had no interest when they were coming out. I was just like, man, more Planet of the Apes movies. Well, you know, think... Don't need them. And then I kept hearing about how good they were. And I'm like, no way. And so I went and saw the first yeah. one. It's like, oh, holy shit. It's actually really good. Yeah. Again, keep in mind, like, when you're rewatching them, which I, again, recommend you all do so we can talk about them more. It's <laughs> keep in mind that this is the story of this Caesar character who's literally mm. born on screen in the first movie and you know like I think I think the first movie is very much a, a slavery allegory is like he's born into slavery and has to eventually kind of lead the uprising of the other slaves out even though he's raised in a by a like a quote unquote like friendly family of slave owners mm-hmm. but he realizes that he'll never actually be a family member and has to kind of go off with his own people. That's even more explicit in the originals. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, this this one literally opens with a scene in Africa with people catching the apes and putting them in chains and shipping them to America. So, And it leads to some really interesting conflict in the later movies where he's trying to maintain peace with the humans. And there are other apes that are like, fuck that. They like had us in labs and experimented on us and shit. And now we have the ability to fight back. Maybe we should do that. And it's surprisingly interesting conflict between, again, CGI apes. So huge recommend for those ones. Nice. That's yeah. That is uh, basically all I watched. Yeah. I assume we're gonna talk about Falcon and the Winter Soldier after. Nah. No. Nah. We'll talk about the finale. Talked about all the other episodes, but this is where no, we're gonna. Not that one. Yeah. <laughs> Just dropping it. Uh, uh. So I only watched one thing, and there's not gonna be any need for a discussion because everybody will know how awesome it is. Uh. Flipping through cable. That's all there was this movie on. 
turned it on, and I'm like, oh, this is the part in RoboCop where he goes in and gets shot and killed. So I guess this means I'm wa- I'm watching the rest of RoboCop. Oh, so you just watched the part from where? He- oh, sorry, when he gets shot and killed at the beginning before yeah. he's turned into RoboCop. So you watched pretty much the whole thing, okay? Yeah. So I was like, well, I guess this is what I'm doing, and just watch which, RoboCop. Wait, which channel was it on? Showtime. Okay. So you already say, because I've done that before, where I'm flipping through and it's on one of the channels that's going to edit it, and I'm oh, like, no. I'm like, hmm. Well, goddamn it! Then I have to go get my copy of RoboCop out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I would have went and grabbed my my Blu-ray and put it in, but since it was Showtime, I just went with it. And uh, yeah, that movie is still fucking awesome. So uh, I just love uh, Clarence Boddicker so much. He's like the best, like sneering, like action movie villain, like ever. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Like it, it RoboCop may be the best movie. It may be. There's, Maybe. Yeah, there's no reason not to include it in the discussion. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. It's. it's yeah, I mean, it works on so many levels too, because it is like a satire. It is like an action movie, and mm. it, it works on those different levels, which is, uh, my opinion, that's a sign of a great movie. Mm. Someday I will meet someone that hates RoboCop. <laughs> You'll shoot him, shoot him in the dick like, just to make a point. Sh- just shoot him right in the fucking face. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I can't imagine somebody not liking RoboCop, like watching it and not thinking it's a good movie. There's yeah, got to be though, right? Got to be someone. Who? I don't know. Could it be? Those are terrible people. We don't want to hang out with. That's for I don't sure. Know. What is oh. some random televangelist? I'm assuming. <laughs> Pat Robertson. Pat Robertson oh, is the one person that's like, robot. They just lie and say they don't like it on TV, but they would actually like it when they were watching it at home. <laughs> They're like 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 the GOP senators that are constantly hating on gay people and then get caught doing gay stuff in a bathroom somewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what that is. Um you know what? So if Pat Robertson if, secretly has a fucking steelbook Blu-ray of fucking RoboCop <laughs> in, in a vault in his bedroom that he sneaks out at night. Man, even if he was in my face criticizing RoboCop, I would just start quoting the movie back to him and not even respond to anything he was saying. Yeah. He's like, this movie is evil. And I'd be like, I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> just watch his head explode. I don't know it's if so it's funny. still active, but there used to be a bot on Twitter that, that if you mentioned RoboCop in any way, it would pop up and say, I'd buy Trust me. Dollar. Trust me. I, comment, I posted on Twitter hoping the bot would come back, but I think, I think Twitter purged a bunch of bots, and I think I got uh, caught up. That makes me sad. So did you ever experience the RoboCop bot, Doug? No, I never had a Twitter account before, so. So you go on Twitter and you would just say anything about RoboCop. Like, RoboCop is awesome. Or I'm watching RoboCop. And then you'd sit and wait. And probably within about half an hour, a bot would would respond. And it would just be the the profile picture is that that guy. And the response would just be, I'd buy that for a dollar. And then one time, though, I did it and... 
I got a picture of the dude from OCP and he said, Dick, you're fired. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, Robocop bots are the best. That's awesome. <laughs> but apparently they're not around anymore. That's, that's, that is genuinely unfortunate. It's like, I understand why you'd want to get rid of bots, but it's like, can't we keep those ones? Those are the ones right? I like, though. Those are the best. <laughs> oh. That's. Man, there's so many great one-liners in RoboCop. The year fired scene at the end, I remember in my head thinking that made so much sense when I was a kid. <laughs> and then watching it as an adult going, nope, that's objectively ridiculous. And I'm pretty sure the filmmakers know it's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This movie, this movie's so good. And I had something to do, but they also had, they were having a marathon. It looked like RoboCop 2 was on right after this, and I'm assuming RoboCop 3 was on after that. Oof. Yeah, I know, but I did watch it a lot on cable, so I do have a kind of a nostalgic feel to Jetpack RoboCop, but... I don't have a lot of detailed memories of the sequels. Yeah. I just remember the the Ninja Robots. Two's just kind of like a lesser version of the first movie, but in three, they're like, he's a superhero now, and we're like, okay, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Remember when he had a goatee? Oh. <laughs> he had a goatee in three? Yeah, for a little bit. He's living with the homeless people, and he grew a goatee. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sakes. No, I kind of want to watch that again, just to see how bad it is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that was a great time. I was just sitting there, just like happy the whole time. I'm like, oh, this is when that dude's gonna get flooded with toxic waste. Yep, there he is. Now he's gonna explode basically into gross water when that dude hits him with the car. Uh, So now everybody's gonna want to go watch Robocop as soon as they hear this. So, yeah. Enjoy. Yeah, I've got to work in the morning, dick. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, All right, Doug, what are we doing next week? Uh, We're going to team up RoboCop with RoboCop and talk about it twice. (laughs) Done and done. Please please tell me that's old RoboCop and old RoboCop, not old RoboCop and new RoboCop. There there is no new RoboCop. prefer not to discuss it the movie's so bad michael keaton couldn't save it <laughs> michael keaton sam jackson lots of good uh, ideas in the movie and then just meh still have never seen it yeah it's, it's probably best so what are we yeah. really doing doug i don't know i'm still stalling while i try to well. pick movies because i totally <laughs> fucking forgot Uh, i mean i can just talk about robocop some more robocop and the original terminator oh my god that would have been so good i remember the comics there was comics and stuff but yeah that original terminator movie holds up great too eh? man it's so fucking it's it's amazing that it's so fucking good and two is so fucking good and they just they are not remotely the same genre of film no, like they they're technically two isn't even a sequel to one. It, they're just completely different movies. <laughs> I want to go watch Terminator and Terminator Two again. That's a good idea. Judgment yeah. Day. Hasta la vista. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, him and his fucking one-liners. Like, remember when you barely talked in the first one? Come with me if you want to live. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I was just, I just, I found, I found like a best of Clarence Boddicker video on YouTube, and I just watched that as soon as RoboCop is over. That's fair. It's so, funny that you, just, you, you watch the movie and then immediately watch clips from the movie. Yeah. Was was the best of Clarence Boddicker video just nothing but Robocop? Well, yes, that's Clarence Boddicker. Kurtwood Smith is his actual name. Yeah, Clarence yes, Boddicker yes. is the is the character's name. No. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah. You know, him throwing that dude out the out the fucking van is like, do you know how to fly, Bobby? <laughs> dude, that opening scene is so fucking good. <laughs> I love the fact that the two roles that he's going to be known for for his entire life is that and the dad from that 70s show. Yep. No matter what. It's either it's either I'm going to put my foot in your ass or bitches leave. One of the two. It's so funny because they're so different characters, even though they're both like um, like mean-spirited characters. Mm. They're played so differently. And he just... <laughs> He pulls it off so well. It's kind of fascinating when you think about it. Did we stall enough for you? Um, not, not enough. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> uh, so it looks like someone made a Justice League retro trailer. I haven't watched it yet. It seems about right. They it's, all uh, Christopher Reeve, Superman, Michael Keaton, Batman, Linda Carter, Wonder Woman, and 90s Flash. Oh, that sounds fun. Hmm. All right, you guys are done, aren't you? But another five <laughs> seconds didn't help. No. Um, well, fuck it. Let's do uh, Dracula from 1970 and Daughters of Darkness. I believe oh, those were go. listener suggestions. So who sent those in? Do you guys remember? Actually, Tracy, I, I, I think I added them before she requested them. Or no, well, I think we, I was already planning on adding them. The- oh, yeah. come on. Don't just let the listeners have it, man. Well, no, because yeah. we had a whole discussion about it because I was so excited yeah. to watch. I believe Star. I believe we had Dracula on the list, but with a question mark next to it. And then when she wrote in, we're like, oh, just put the Daughters of Darkness next to it. It'll give us an excuse to put the Dracula episode yeah. on. Seems fair. Either way. I'm stoked. Da- Daughters of Darkness has been on my list for a long time. I've never I remember wanting to see it at some point, but I do not remember why or what it's about or anything like that. I've just seen it brought up in a know whole lot of discussions about good vampire movies. Okay. Do we know if it's available to watch anywhere? Well, I hope so. Because that was one of the reasons I picked it. Because I know Dracula 1970 is on 2B. Is that Jack Palance? 1970 Dracula? Uh, Yeah, I believe so. And Daughters of Darkness is on 2B as well. So we should be right. Sweet. So you get home. You can watch on Tubi as well. It's free. Just got to sit through some ads. I watch so many fucking movies on Tubi. And it's worth it. So it doesn't look like <laughs> Daughters of Darkness is on Tubi here, though. Uh-oh. Damn it. Well, I mean, that's just what Just Play- Just Watch told me. I don't know if that's true or not. Well, that's Just Watch is the one telling me it's not on here. So. Yep, there it is on Tubi. Let's see. <clears throat> 
All right. Well, should we talk about the finale to Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Yes. I, I, oh, do, yes, I do believe you mean Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Oh, yeah. Honestly, I fucking love that little. I know it's stupid and I'm a nerd, and but it was like one of those moments when it popped up Captain America and the Winter Soldier at the end. I'm like, yes. <laughs> oh, spoiler alert for people who are still listening that don't know that we do spoilers. Uh, yeah. And who have yeah. no idea that Falcon's going to become Winter Soldier, even though he was hand- going to become the Captain America, even though he was handed the shield in the last movie. Yeah. You know, all 20 of you people listening, you'll be fine. Uh, well, um, it's more like it's more like 14 now because a few people have turned it off after our bullshit during the rest of the show. <laughs> it's possible. Um, all right. So what happened? For some reason, I'm, I'm catching a blank on the beginning of this episode. Uh, yeah, I mean the, the attack is happening on the. Oh, that's right. That's right. Guys, yeah. and Sam and Bucky have to go in to try and stop them. But Sam's Captain America now instead of Falcon. Mm-hmm. He's got and the whole new suit on. The other Captain America shows up with his shitty homemade shield that does nothing. <laughs> Gets broken and in like ten minutes. It's hilarious. She's like, what good is that shield going to do? Oh, none good. That's the, the zero of the good. That's what it accomplished. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the, I mean, the movie's, it's a lot of fighting. And yeah. then Sam gives a big speech. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it's kind of the end. There's a bunch of post-credits stuff to set up the next few things. Yeah. Yeah, there's a whole lot of good growth moments for a lot of characters in this. Mm-hmm. You kind of see Bucky get to make his peace. Oh, and yeah. I, I even liked Walker's. Walker basically had two moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one where he decides to save the people instead of chasing the bad guy to show that maybe he's learning that you're supposed to save people. <laughs> That's part of the mm-hmm. the thing rather than getting the job done. And there's also that interesting moment where... Uh, Falcon gives his big long speech to the people at the end about yeah I stopped the terrorists but you never stop to ask why they're terrorists and you guys are evil fucks too yeah and uh, whenever he kind of finishes John Walker's got that look of oh god damn it he is a better Captain America than me (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting because it's like because they also end the show with John Walker signing up to be U.S. agent. And you're like, okay, so he's accepting that he's not a good Captain America and he's going to move on, but he's not actually going to become a good guy. He's still going to somehow take a dark turn, apparently. Well, I think he still thinks he is going to be a good guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that character because at some point he's going to be doing terrible things and not understanding that they're terrible which is interesting seems like I saw some headline that Wyatt Russell may not come back to play John Walker that would be Uh, insane that would be stupid I don't understand I don't I thought their policy was just to sign people to lifetime contracts now, basically. Yeah, right. Like, after phase one, basically, I thought everybody was signed on for a bunch. They're, they're like, you need to sign a 12-movie contract. Yes, it's super expensive, but we don't want you to Robert Downey Jr. us. <laughs> well, it's not just the Robert Downey Jr. thing. It's like the Ed Norton thing and 
first roadie, whatever that was. I can't remember our names off the top of my head, but Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard, yeah. Sorry, yeah. but like you know what I mean. Like, yeah. like they don't want that happening. So, no, yeah. Um, he got his comic accurate uniform, which I was excited about. I don't love just, it. I'll just say yeah. that. It, it, yeah. it is comic accurate, like which I didn't know because I haven't read those comics, but I did, you know, seen pictures of it since then. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Mostly the headgear I don't like. Just yeah. you don't like the white. A little too much white overall in the costume for me, and I think I understand why they wouldn't cover him more, but I think he needs like a some sort of cowl thingy so that when he smashes into shit, you can be like, oh, that that thing's a helmet so it's fine now yeah, his, top I, of his head is just fully exposed while he's out there captain america about i just don't trust I mean, him. he didn't yeah. have a full helmet no did i completely not even notice that well, I mean, you just said you noticed the costumes well i guess i was looking at all the stripes on his chest because i was super happy they they went with it but yeah he's got like the thing comes up around his ears and it kind of turns into the goggles over his eyes but the top uh-huh. of his head's exposed and I like to some extent I understand a it's comic accurate and b you don't go make this whole plot line about it being a, a black man and cover his head in a white helmet like it you know what I mean you want him to be exposed you want to be able to see him as much as possible mm-hmm. but I just don't love the design. Wait, are you talking of Captain America or U.S. Agent? Captain America. Oh, I've been talking about U.S. Agent this whole time. Oh. <laughs> That's why I was confused. I'm like, is his head's exposed? Also, also comic book accurate. Yeah, the the U.S. agent one is is oh. very comic book accurate, which is what I'm happy about. Uh, Fal- the Falcon. I did, I did like America's the line of it's sort the same of same thing, but black, and they're like, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the Captain America one's kind of meh. I even thought the comic book one was kind of meh. Okay, it's just you have to put the red, white, and blue in there because he's Captain America, so you kind of have to. And I just feel like it's there's a lot going on in the front of that costume. Yeah, I just feel like there's ways to do it, like starting with more blue, less white. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe like a predominantly blue suit with like red wings or something would look neat. I don't know. Yeah. Now, um, that, you, now that you bring it up, they gave the super soldier a helmet and not the guy with no super soldier serum. Right. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um. Was it was it this episode they revealed that Sharon is the power broker? They heavily hinted at it in the previous. Okay. Yeah. But they but I mean they full out literally just said you're the power yeah. broker this yeah. episode. I couldn't remember if it was this one or the last one. It was like uh post credits basically, right? Where they Well Carly said something to her and then like I don't know. But yeah, she since she's cause she got a pardon, so now she's reinstated. And now as the power broker has access to all kinds of things. And I'm assuming, Noah, this is what you're talking about leading up to Armor Wars. Oh, yeah, where she talks about selling weapon secrets and stuff. That's pretty much. Yeah, nice. And now there's, of course, there's also the fan theory going around that she's a squirrel. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so I think leading up to Secret Invasion, this scroll is going to be the new Mephisto. Like, no matter what, somebody's going to be like, well, she's definitely a scroll. It's definitely a scroll behind it. Whereas, like, uh, you know, everyone's theory for WandaVision, which was, you know, yeah. at least had some, like, credence to it from the comics. 
But every time they see something red, you'd be like, well, it's red, so it's obviously Mephisto, right? Um, I feel like everything now is going to be like, well, that person's probably a scroll. It's going to be revealed she's a scroll. I can see that being the new thing, and I'm so sick of it. The only part I enjoy of it is when people openly mock the people who think that about everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the videos I did, I watched that, you know, gave me the sort of Easter eggs and stuff for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Like, they're just running down a bunch of stuff. And they're like, in this shot, you can clearly see that Sam's visor is red, and you know what that means. And then they put a picture of Mephisto. And I was I laughing, and just, <laughs> we just moved on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Tell you I, what, though, Mephisto's got to be coming. Got to be. Yeah, probably. We'll see. Maybe it'll be in Thor. Don't know. Um... Yeah, I don't know. Anything else about this episode? That was good. I liked uh, when Sam gives his speech at the end about <laughs> how it's complicated and stop looking for easy answers. Did you guys kind of think it was a bit of a meta speech as well? Like, it obviously works in the context of the show. He's speaking to these world leaders, like, quit, start thinking about your consequences, stop trying to make easy decisions. But I feel like he was also talking to the audience <laughs> about, like, you know, it's a bit more complicated because we've got, like, John Walker, who was a good guy had some dark twists to him and stop trying to make it about good guys versus bad guys and I thought that kind of was a good way to kind of speak to the audience of the whole MCU mm-hmm. and just kind of like nudge everything along in that direction of like it's it's more complicated stop asking who's the good guy and who's the bad guy and follow through the story and you know yeah. the the whole speech about some people aren't going to like having a black Captain America, he might as well have been deadpan spiking the camera the entire time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean... Mm. Uh, but I kind of like that when they're able to do things that are sort of like lecturing the audience in the same way they're lecturing the characters, but in a way that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily pick up on. I find that fun. Patience. so one of the best post credit sequences ever I don't care what anybody says (laughs) the best in my personal opinion Um, oh we should mention uh, looks like Sam got them to add a uh, Isaiah Bradley exhibit at the Captain America Museum Yeah, which was nice I really liked that uh the way that whole Isaiah thing was played out, I think like the story is interesting, but also I just think they did a really good job of editing it in and kind of like, yeah, it's it's hard. It's a hard line to walk, and I think they did a really good job. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I agree, because I feel like the road you want to take is that he's so upset and spiteful about the whole thing, but then like something's got to happen where he's got to come out. And start fighting with everybody, you know, like side by side with like the Winter Soldier and stuff. Yeah. So and that's like his big redemption moment. But I like the that they didn't do that because, you know, it's like he's got nothing to fight for. Like he's the one who was wronged. So we should show that we were the problem the whole time rather than him having to step in and do whatever. Right. It was kind of neat, too, because they had him learn his lesson, which the lesson is effectively that, you know, it's important to maintain hope and to keep fighting the good fight 
because maybe one day something good will come from it, even if you don't get, you know, everything you want. Um, so they are having him learn a lesson without it being, I don't know how to say it, like, you don't want him, you don't want to turn around and act like he was wrong for feeling the way he felt. You want to yeah. make sure it's, it's completely understandable that he was bitter and angry this whole time, and you can't argue that he shouldn't have been, but you still want the message to be one of hope at the end of the day, right? You want the message to be that if you do the, if you keep fighting the good fight, some good could come from it. And he gets at least his recognition at the end and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. And it was done super well. So it's amazing how I keep thinking they're going to end up fumbling some, something just like, well, this is going to be tough and they're probably not going to, they're not going to do it right. But Marvel still seems to figure out how to get it to, to work it properly. There was even a little moment in this, and like the race stuff is so hard for them to walk that line and do it well. But earlier in the series, there was that guy who, that kid that called him Black Falcon, and he's like, "No, I'm just Falcon," and he made like a big scene about it. Yeah, and it, my dad says your name's Black Falcon. <laughs> but yeah. in in this, when somebody said, "Hey, that's Black Falcon," the other guy said, "No, that's Captain America." So they skipped the whole, hey, that's the black Captain America step, and they went straight to people recognizing him as the new Captain America. And there was a nice way of like doing that in a quick little scene without drawing too much attention to it and making it too, you know, too big a deal of it and kind of sucking people out of the story, but at the same time recognizing that people are referring to him as Captain America and making it a, you know, a kind of a stamp on it to say like, look, they didn't call him black Captain America. They only called him Captain America, which is important. Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was, it now makes more sense why that scene with that kid happened a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Um, anything else about Captain America, and the winter soldier? No, it was good. Curious to see what comes next. Um, I, one of those I would say things. just, just as good as WandaVision, but different. Oh, yeah, completely. Yep, just a completely different type of show, which is, again, what I'm happy that they're getting back to, is telling different kind of stories. Like, you know, before we had Iron Man and we had Captain America, like, with the World War II story, and then, you know, Thor with, like, the space fantasy type stuff, and then Winter Soldier comes along, and it's like an espionage movie, which is fantastic, and... And then the big lead up to Endgame, it's just they all kind of started feeling very samey. Yeah. I feel like they're going back to uh, um, let's tell a bunch of different stories, different kinds of stories and all kinds of stuff. So I'm really happy about that. Yeah, I'm happy to see that as well. I think different stories and they're, they seem to be doing a good job of picking the type of story to tell with the right characters. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, not that exactly there would have been any way to tell a Captain America story in <laughs> WandaVision style, but the, yeah. so far so good with that. I mean, and also the fact that this whole series just felt like a continuation of the Captain America storyline, mm-hmm. I think is it's important because you don't want to disrespect what came before just because you want to make sure that, you know, in order to sell the new stuff, you don't necessarily want change too much from what happened before. Yeah. Uh, the next one's going to be Loki, which I'm super happy about. Be interesting to watch. 
Yeah, it looks like a time travel heisty type show, which I'm yeah. kind of pumped for. So, yeah, I mean, at this point, I just have so much faith in them, though. It's like, yeah, just do whatever. Just yeah. 12 more Star Wars shows and 15 more Marvel shows. Sure, just do them all. <laughs> you don't seem to be screwing it up. So, yeah, and I'm still really excited for this what if animated show that I think is supposed to be coming sometime this summer. Yeah, I'm stoked for what if. Yeah. That one's going to be real fun. Yeah. And I love that they're like, well, we're not only going to animate it, but we're also going to get uh, the actual actors to do their voices and stuff whenever their characters show up. Um, and weirdly and oddly, like one of them has Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa, him doing the voice. So that'll be his last official Marvel uh, role. So that's kind of a that's unfortunate, but both a bummer, but also at least we get just a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. Uh, I don't know anything else before we sign off. Nah. Take that as a no. Nope. Watch the show. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.